we're perhaps not in a second wave in Melbourne, we're perhaps in a second outbreak of the first wave. And I think that what's happening in the Northern Hemisphere as it gets colder is probably a good indication that this thing is gonna follow a similar pattern and travel around the world um, a couple of times, um, like the Spanish flu and the influenzas before that. So, you know, there's still that risk that um, no matter what we do, um, we could find ourselves in a lockdown again at some point next year. Today on Dirty Linen, I'm talking to Paul Castile. He's got Hoo-Ha Bar in Chapel Street. Um, we've chatted during the pandemic about various restaurant-related matters and life-related matters, um, but we've never actually, you know, hung out or met or I, I don't even really know where this conversation's going to go, but I know it's going to be interesting and uh well yeah let me start by saying hello and welcome paul thank you for coming along and having a chat to dirty linen yeah hey danny how are you going it's nice to actually finally connect with your voice with i feel like we've had so many conversations in in a virtual world and sent each other messages so it is really nice to hear your voice and i think it's great what you do and what you've been doing as well particularly the support for and the lobbying for the visas and the visa holders in this country Thank you. Well, I know that that's an issue that you're also passionate about. And if I think about some of the conversations we've had, they've been really quite diverse. They've been about, you know, how to apply for grants and some of the frustrations around that process. More recently, it's been thinking about outdoor dining and all the various conundra around that. I think the fact that you're on Chapel Street in Windsor, I mean, Chapel Street has, it was an interesting strip pre-pandemic with, you know, a lot of, I guess, ups and downs and ins and outs but it's such an important street to Melbourne um I also we've also talked about your son who has autism and and challenges around that you've been <laughs> I remember one time we were trying to work out what the actual regulations were around moving a house and viewing rental properties so if I think back to that it's almost a little bit of a, a through line um th- uh, through this through this crazy pandemic and all the the crazy ways that it's impacted us in all areas of our lives Oh, for sure. You know, anyone that's at home with young kids homeschooling and trying to work would would have some insight into into what that's like. And, you know, autism adds another complexity. And yes, my mum was evicted from her house two days before we went into stage four lockdown because uh, the people that owned her house sold it. So they just went through the process of going to VCAT to get a... Um, a possession notice and a possession order. So, and then, the yeah, we're on Chapel Street. We've been here for 15 years. Outdoor dining is really complicated for me because I'm actually upstairs. <laughs> so, um, you know, there's a, there's a whole lot of criteria I don't meet to even be able to get a permit. So we're trying to work through those issues with uh, some of the team in the in the Stonington COVID response team. Mm. And councils, fun to deal with um, at the best of times. But, you know, I think uh, I've heard some good, good council stories, you know, through this, but I've also heard um, a lot of uh, frustration and I've envisaged the tearing out of a lot of hair. I think councils are just by definition their own worst enemies and when you throw in the complexity of dealing with Yarra trams and Vic roads around outdoor dining on the street um, 
you know, it's it's just incredibly difficult for them to step outside the bureaucracy and the red tape and and to fast track things um, with so many regulations that that we kind of have to meet and satisfy. So um, it's it's all well and good for Dan Andrews and for I guess the mayors like Sally Cap to get up and and make those big announcements, but when it sort of gets thrown down to the people that have to implement it and operationalise it, um, I think reality and vision are sometimes uh, worlds apart. And perhaps there's a lesson there in terms of validating an idea before you kind of create false hope for our Premier and Lord Mayor because I've heard from friends that there's just as many complex issues in the city of Melbourne um, for some people. And I think Wes Lambert uh, from uh, RCA, our CEO, coined the phrase lucky lease. Um, I think lucky lease was used when lobbying the state government um, around outdoor dining and some people are lucky and some people are probably a bit more disadvantaged by it because, um, you know, their competition will get more seating on the street. And I think when people come out of lockdown, that's where they'll want to be on a nice day. Yeah, I'll just clarify that RCA is a Restaurant and Catering Association for anyone who doesn't know. So it's, you know, it's a a lobby group that is working behind the scenes to assist the restaurant industry. Not every restaurant is a member. Um, And, I mean, yeah, it's, uh, we'll get Wes on the show one day to have a chat. But I think it's one of the issues that's been, um, I guess, brought to light or that people have thought a lot about during this has been representation and about, you know, the restaurants have tried to organise in various ways. But by the the nature of the industry, it is so many small businesses who naturally are not all going to think the same thing and, of course, are in very different circumstances and their access to outdoor dining is just one way in which they can be lucky or unlucky. I um, I just think that, I, 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 you know, Speaking for hospitality, I, I think the majority of us just want to sort of feel that it won't it won't really work or solve the problem, and that we need to find a way to open up and um, to be able to have customers back inside our venues. Um, my my opinion um, on that is that um, just as an observer of of human behaviour, um, which is pretty fundamental to being a hospitality operator. Um, if you do the right thing, we're an industry that's already got food safety. We've got plans. We were the first to put a proposal to the federal government for reopening. Um, it's a really easy step for us to, you know, have more sanitisation and hygiene practices. And for me, the idea that I can control my customer flow, I can have set booking times, I can take temperature checks at the front door, we can sanitise we can introduce simple things like pedestal fans and open windows to create airflow, um, evaporative cooling systems which move outside air through venues are quite cheap um, compared to air conditioning. Um, sure, um, I'm not an epidemic, I'm not a health expert, I won't even try to pronounce that word, but um, And I agree that there's more risk, but it's a different type of risk. Um, When we opened for that that sort of five-week period after the first lockdown, um, 
I just saw how well we can control it and, you know, sanitise between groups. And, you know, late night when people had had a few drinks and they were coming up the stairs, um, we had a few issues at the entrance. But what I see is that when you go down to the bay on a nice sunny day um, and you see people everywhere, the problem is that it's fundamentally our nature to want to connect and be close to people. And you introduce a few drinks and, you know, people loosen up and the barriers get dropped. You drop off your kids at school. Parents haven't seen each other for a long time. People are craving um, social time. So, you know, our principals had to send out warnings to all the parents about congregating outside the school and not social distancing. And so, you know, when you look at putting outdoor dining in the street, um, sure, it might be safer to be outside, but... I sort of really question how you manage the traffic around doorways and restaurants and entrances and if people know that they're, if people see their friends, they're going to lean over the fence and I've spoken to people in Geelong who have already opened up and, you know, they're telling me that the social distancing, um, it's, you know, it's really disappearing down there after a few drinks on Friday night and people are, you know, are congregating and spilling out on the streets and, so I really think that, um, you know, looking at New York where they forecast 60% of restaurants to close and to put that in perspective, I think I read last week they had 5,000 cases within a few days and they're going into winter and probably their second wave. Um, I just think in Melbourne, um, you know, Dan Andrews is not listening Um Everyone's screaming at him and saying, including the federal government, I think Frydenberg today, um, to say, you know, we've got to find a way to open and we've got to find a way to let business and the economy function because it, it's sort of at such a devastating point um, for mental health, um, for businesses and businesses are going to be closing. So, you know, just the outdoor dining thing, idea, idea not validated, idea not well consulted with in terms of industry stakeholders and you, you bring it into a local council level. Um, I mean, yeah, Vic Rhodes is saying we have to put water barriers in the car parking bays and by the time you do that, you get two seats. Um, you've got to deal with the issue of weather protection from an awning that doesn't extend out. I think your last publication, I read they were predicting 50% um, of days would be rain days and 50% wouldn't be rain days, if I read that right and remembered it correctly. And, um, and you know, then you've got the curb. So do you box up a step? It's just really complicated. And I think a lot of us don't think it's going to work. And then um, not every hairdressing salon or clothing shop um, wants to have cafe seats out the front of their venue either. Mm, sure. You know, just to sort of look at it at, from a different lens. There, yeah, <laughs> you've really spoken about so many things just then, and I would really, I'd yeah, love, so yeah, to bring it yeah. Back and, yeah. Well, to bring it back in, the message is we've got to open and we've got to be able to have customers inside our venues in a safe way and and coexist with something that I think is going to be around for a few years. Yes, well. I'll just talk about the Bureau of Meteorology thing first of all, just to cover that off. So um, I wrote an article uh, that was in The Age, Good Food, 
this week and one of the experts I spoke to was a Bureau of Meteorology and I set, gave them some parameters to work out exactly how many days they could predict that they, that would be conducive to outdoor dining in Melbourne. Uh, the parameters I gave them were that it, that it was not too windy, so they that, so we agreed on that there were wind gusts of no more than 40 kilometres per hour, that the maximum temperature was between 15 and 35 and that, um, that there wasn't more than, I think, one centimetre of rain was what we decided. And there was just a shade under 50% of the daylight saving months, uh, a shade under 50% of those days would be conducive to outdoor dining. So, I mean, we all know Melbourne, like you might get a good hour and then a bad hour and then a good hour again. But, I mean, that doesn't really help restaurants take bookings. It doesn't really give customers confidence. You know, you don't want to be like waiting for the thunderstorm, rushing out, grabbing your outdoor table and then coming home again. So, we, we I mean, as soon as Melbourne, you put the words Melbourne and outdoor dining together, everybody knows that it's going to have its challenges. I mean, I'm looking out my window now and it is so windy. It's a great day for drying washing, but not a great day for eating some food um, on the street. I have visions of golf ball size hailstones <laughs> and flooded underpasses in the city that happen about once a year in December. Yeah, yeah. there's always some big rains in December. Well, yes, in a, unless there's a drought. But anyway, um, yes, and to that, um, I guess just like kicking the can down the road and saying we've got this great idea, you guys work it out, let's cut the red tape. I think one thing that sometimes sort of glossed over is that, you know, we always red tape is always, you know, put in these quote marks as though it's always a bad thing. I mean, a lot of that red tape is to keep us safe. And, of course, we don't want somebody getting run over by a tram. We don't want um, a chair toppling off the curb into the gutter. So, I mean, you the red tape is is it's not just there because people love tape. It's um it might be you know the rules might be get too complicated over time, or there might be overlapping jurisdictions that make things all just yeah. unworkable. But you can't just have a free for all. I think you know any business owner can understand that you know the, as you've just said you know that there's a lot of rules that restaurants already abide by that are there to keep customers safe and to allow businesses to run smoothly. Oh, totally. Um, but I think where the red tape becomes a barrier is when, um, you know, Vic Roads is sort of constrained by two options. Um, and I spoke to a urban landscape architect who I introduced to Stonington, um, who, who got involved and donated his time and didn't want any money and just wanted to help and wanted to help the council do something great down here. And um, there are other options that, you know, are probably far more aesthetically pleasing and, and provide the same level of, of safety. Um, but um, it sort of seems quite difficult because they're not vetted and approved, um, you know, by the organisations that we have to deal with locally. So, but 100% agree, it's got to be safe. I mean, you know, we have rules for a reason. Um, you know, I come from an industry that's highly regulated. Um, so, and a high risk industry as well with alcohol after one o'clock and DJs and stuff that we probably won't see again, oof, I don't know, until July next year if we're lucky. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, you're not a health, health expert. I'm not a health expert. I think we probably, even as non-experts, we can probably agree that the safest. No, I did, I did, I did work in life sciences for a while. And I did run a couple of medical clinics in a past life, so I've got a lot of friends that are doctors. So I got I got a little bit of a little bit of knowledge there. Okay, well I've, we've all probably. But I'm not an expert. You're right. 
Well, yeah. I guess the, the safest level of virus in the community is zero and that doesn't seem like it's going to happen, um, yeah, well, not by Sunday uh, and for the announcement that we're all hanging on. Um, but given that zero doesn't seem just around the corner, I think everyone is wondering what is the safe level uh, to open up, at least at least to some degree, whether that's indoors, whether that's outdoors. My inclination is to... Um, I guess defer to the official health advice, but one thing I've also been like watching in horror this week has been um, restaurants in many places in Europe being closed again, and I think that's the thing that I'm just so terrified of for us. You know, um, I feel like we're so close to things oh, being Asia as well now. Malaysia's Malaysia's just gone back down into lockdown. I hadn't even caught up with that. So I've been looking at like Barcelona's closed mm, down. So it's happening in Southeast Asia. Czech yeah. Republic's closed down. Northern Ireland's closed down. You know, there's real, really, um, you know, unworkable restrictions in, you know, the north of England. Um, Paris uh, is restricted. Um, yeah, lots of other cities in France. It's It's pretty bad. And that's the thing that, that's the thing that scares me and I'd probably call myself quite a pragmatic person and a realist and the one thing I think is that history teaches us is that we're perhaps not in a second wave in Melbourne, we're perhaps in a second outbreak of the first wave and I think that what's happening in the northern hemisphere as it gets colder is probably a good indication that this thing is going to follow a similar pattern and travel around the world. Um, a couple of times, um, like the Spanish flu and the influenzas before that. So, and you know, we're we're truly not we're not truly a locked down country because we still have ships and planes coming in every day. We have flight crews disembarking and going to hotels and that aren't in quarantine and being served by you know people that live here in Melbourne. So, you know, there's still that risk that. Um, no matter what we do, um, we could find ourselves in a lockdown again at some point next year. Well, that just seems like an insupportable and devastating notion. I mean, <laughs> can you, I mean, how can you get your head around that? Yeah, it's interesting. I, I did this business grant program with the local council and um, it was basically an application for $5,000 and it was called a rapid grant and perhaps it's not so rapid because I think it's been going for 10 weeks and they're only just starting to dish out the money and and they had some good intentions. They did a, they did a business diagnostic um, and I sort of went into that expecting them to go through what I'd applied for in terms of support. Um, I think I asked for a freezer and a new backpack machine and some money for marketing for our pivot towards doing, um, you know, more takeaway and home delivery stuff. And every dollar um, is just worth 10 these days. Like, you know, it's, it's just a battle. So, and I was kind of um, taken aback a little bit and I've given my feedback to the council. So this is no news to them um, that I got taken down a rabbit hole and, told to forget about my four walls and my lease and I need to reinvent my business and come up with some virtual unicorn to make money and survive. Um, and and I thought about that afterwards and, look, I, I, I've got some previous history and skill sets that perhaps some other people in small business don't. 
and I'm quite resilient when it comes to planning. And, and I sort of thought, wow, this could just be really disruptive and really, you know, for a lot of people going through this. So my feedback was perhaps they should kind of be pragmatic and focus on what people ask the money for and offer the visionary brainstorming session um, as an option. And, and I found it useful because I like having my thought process stimulated. But to sort of bring it back to what do I do, um, I actually haven't figured that out yet, Danny, and it's quite scary. I've got a first floor business that doesn't make money unless it's got 200 people standing around drinking, DJs, you know, people buying food. We're in an industry that has really compressed margins. So unless you're at the top of the game and you have a really successful product or you're part of a group where you've been able to achieve some cost efficiencies, the hospitality industry was, for a lot of people, was already hitting a wall where margins of, you know, less than 5%. So if you don't have the people in the venue and the turnover, you will go broke very, very quickly. And that's the harsh reality. So I sat in on a, I, I attended a insolvency seminar yesterday because the federal government, and that's a reality, liquidation insolvency. Um, it's not one that I was looking at before we closed down, but it's definitely one I'm looking at now. And I'm carrying creditors and debts and the business owes me money. Um, I have a mortgage like most people, two young kids. Um, so a lot of financial pressure. But I had a viable business. And so I, I went to an insolvency seminar yesterday, a virtual one, to learn about what the changes were that the treasurer announced um, and the loosening up for, to make it easier for small businesses. And, and I didn't really know anything about it. And um, I sort of left feeling quite stressed out at the end of it because, you know, the definition of insolvency is that the business can't pay the debts that are due when they're due. And I think by that definition, a lot of businesses, as soon as they don't have cash flow or revenue, are insolvent. Now, right now, we're protected until the 31st of December. But on the 1st of January, a lot of us are going to open with a bunch of creditors who have debt. Now, the simple idea of voluntary administration is that you restructure your business and put a plan together. This is what I learned yesterday. Um, so it might be right or wrong. And you approach your creditors and you need 50% of them to approve it to allow you to continue running the business and to trade out of what you think is an insolvent position. And you need to feel that you can do that. Now, why I felt so stressed out is because there's no clear certainty or roadmap in Victoria for what we can do. And I think I, I stitched together a little um, one-minute video from Dan Andrews' conference last Sunday. Um, I think I summarised a minute, an hour and 40 minutes of, of him talking to about one minute. And between Sutton and Andrews, there is no certainty, a lot of confusion, contradiction. He said he he, to quote Dan Andrews, I can't give a week's notice because we need the data. And then in another breath, he said, 
we won't just rely on the numbers, we'll look at the story behind the numbers. And at the end of the day, how do I restructure my business and put a plan in place if I actually don't know how many people I can physically have inside upon which to base a revenue forecast? I can't forecast my sales for next week, let alone January, February, March. I can make a whole lot of assumptions. So in terms of the idea of putting a proposal out there into my creditor, the world of my creditors, the people like my fruit supplier, um, my meat supplier, my alcohol supplier, um, I can't actually honestly put my hand on my heart and say this is when I'm going to be open and how much money I think I'm going to make and when I can pay off my debts. Impossible. So what do I do? I have to perhaps, I can't with, I don't have the size of business or the resources available to me that I have a team of people I can direct to do things um, that some of the bigger groups with deeper pockets have. I'm just a small business. So I have to do what I can with my time as a business operator with two young kids, one with autism, and that's a huge burden on our time. Um, and there's only so many hours in the day for re-educating yourself, learning new skills, um, applying for grants, following up grants, applying for local grants, dealing with outdoor dining issues and how do you get around um, the fact that you're on the first floor. Um, and I'm still trying to figure out what my product might look like. Um, and it, it has to be something that solves a problem for people because I think people that are at home want to feel normal. Um, so I think if you can figure out, you know, something to give people that takes a little bit of the stress of the situation of being stuck at home away, that's a starting point. Um, and I think for our industry in hospitality, it has to be something that potentially lets you connect with your customers um, and something that you can bring back into your venue um, as well. So, uh, you know, a lot of people that are doing the boxes and the picnics, I love what Jason McLaren-Jones did with the chairs and the tables out on the domain. I thought that was brilliant. Um, there's a lot of people doing really clever stuff that makes it an experience for people and I think that's the key. And for me, for Miss Cuckoo, um, which is our food part of our business and hoo-ha, um, I haven't figured that out yet and that's quite scary. Mm. Yeah. I mean, again, there's so there's as, as you're speaking, I can sort of feel like the the crush of ways that you could turn. Like you could you could you could think about out designing. You could think about this. You could do a seminar. You could recut a video of the premiere. You could you know you can look after your kids. You can you know you can sit around. You can you can worry. You can worry about your staff. You know, there's so many way, places that you could put your energy. Oh, it's overwhelming. It feel, yeah, it's I can if I can feel I can sound I can hear the overwhelm. And I think you know what going back to where you started just with this this um just just previously you know talking about the premier and and um the chief health officer and looking for that certainty i just think life and business particularly is just not compatible with a pandemic and it, it, you know people are looking for certainty all around the world and it's really hard for a leader to give it because you just actually don't know where where it's going to pop up next you just don't know if um 
yeah, like you say, like if a flight attendant's going to get off a plane and pass something on to the, you know, the, the guy that brought the luggage up or, or whatever it is. I just think it's, it's uh, there's just really difficult decisions being made at every level of society and none of, the, none of them are being made in a climate of certainty. Uh, look, I, I look, I, I, look I, re- I respect leadership and I think Dan Andrews is, is a strong leader and I think he's got conviction and I certainly respect people that believe in themselves. But um, equally, um, and I think he is quite decisive, um, but equally I think the reality of it is that it has been mismanaged and that's clear and evident and nine people um, saying that they don't know who made the decision. I think the fact that they didn't do a deal with Salesforce when they could have and that um, putting in a contact tracing technology that was offered to them months ago and still being months away from being able to test that um, is one of the things that scares him and that's a big assumption on my part. Like, don't quote me on that. That's just an opinion put together on hearsay. Um, But I think where it's falling down is that... um, the polls and the people have shifted their view. And I think from my perspective, there's not enough engagement or consultation or listening going on. And I get it. They're, 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 they're flying by the seat of their pants. And I think someone said to me, you wouldn't take the pilot out of the pilot's seat um, when the plane's flying through a storm. And I, I said, you yeah, would if he was headed straight for a mountain and not, not listening to the fact that he was headed for a mountain so, um, yeah, I think that um, the reality is is he's the state leader and I think unfortunately for Victoria he's not listening and there's not enough engagement. And, um, hey, I'm just one small business so, you know, I, I, I try and deal with it by just focusing on having a plan and trying to work with what I know and, you know, you wake up and go, you know, what are the three or four things I'm going to work on today? Um, and it's still stressful because it's such a moving target, but I think, you know, a lot of the time, you know, it's like goal setting, you get overwhelmed by big ideas and it's just sort of focusing on, okay, what's my goal? How am I going to get through this? And then breaking it down into little steps and just trying to focus on that. And I think one of the other things that a lot of us probably suffer is, trying to avoid getting pulled down the rabbit hole on Facebook and social media. Uh, you know. Uh, yes. It's that's that's hard. I I, I mean I, I like if I think about today, I just feel like I've got nothing done. <laughs> like apart from talking to you, which is good, and it's the I can only while I'm talking to you, I'm only talking to you and that is actually such a that's such a nice thing to do because it's it's very it's yeah, it's pure and it's clear and it's solid time and I'm not being pulled in any other directions apart from by my dog who's looking at me telling me it's time for a walk. Um but yeah it's so distracting and tiring and yeah I think we're all at such a low ebb that um it's almost like you keep trying to fill up on stuff um whether that's information or yeah for me it might be another piece of chocolate or another cup of tea or another glass of wine but the information is is overloading if you're an owner i mean you know we've we've had so many announcements you've got the apprenticeship scheme okay and 
you know, I just wrapped my head around that this week for a day and a half and, you know, I found out that, um, you know, there's only 100,000 places, there's no state caps, it's a national cap and that most of those places will be taken up within two weeks and people in Victoria in hospitality will be disadvantaged because they're not in a position to employ anyone because they're closed and the wage... Um, the job maker program, well, no one can, no one that's on JobKeeper is going to do JobMaker until April. And if you're not, and I spoke to someone last week who said, Paul, you know, we opened just before the first lockdown and we've managed to sort of keep going and employ some staff and JobMaker's just popped up. Do I fire um my full-time person who's doing 40 hours a week and employ two people on 20 hours a week each because the government will give me a $400 wage subsidy. Yeah, I've heard of people being let go for that. So, yeah, it's, again, I suppose it's an idea that, you know, it's kind of sounds kind of sounds good, but then the way that it can be applied or the way that it rolls out is not, um, is not, is not great. But it's every week. There, it just sort of feels that like whether it's a grant or apprenticeships or a seminar, it's just there's there's this all this other stuff. We're not actually open, but I'm busier than I've ever been and feel like I'm not actually getting anything done in the business. <laughs> just like you, I kind of come to work and do all this stuff and go home and go, God, I didn't get anything done at work today. And you pro- and you probably <laughs> lost money as well. Oh, I'm losing money every week. Don't worry about that. I um. If I close, I'm losing $1,000 a week and if I stay open at the moment, I'm losing $2,000 a week because of my the few staff I've still hanging on to that are on visas. Paul, that is so tough. I just, yeah, it's so tough. And, you know, when, uh, yeah, uh, just it's so hard and I, I totally get why when you're in that position it is for so many businesses, it's it's on a knife edge, and I can see why. Well, obviously, people just want to open. I mean, apart from that, they need to have money coming through the business. It's you know, it's what they do, and it's how you slowly try to start to feel normal again and give your staff that sense of, you know, if it's not normal, like at least it's on perhaps on the pathway to normal. It's just yeah, you just must be making so many hard decisions every single day. Oh, I think it's just people just that work in hospitality. They do it because they like social contacts. So, you know, I don't really want to do takeaway food or home delivery. I want to have, I want to have people, you know, in here that we can give hospitality to and look after and get to know and have those conversations. And then hopefully they come back and become a regular. Um, and I think, unfortunately, we're at a point where it's gone on for so long now that you know for me it's just the idea of holding my team which is my family together um it's just getting harder you know so i think we just offered a a, a, we just offered one of our boys who's um been on the on the bench um but he gets job uh, seeker and he was a casual who's worked for us for quite a while really nice guy and we offered him an apprenticeship to train him up as a supervisor and that would have that would have been an additional expense for the business that we can't afford but we sort of thought it was worth rolling the dice and 
in the space of two days, we got to the point of, of signing him up and enrolling him and he just pulled out at the last minute. And he pulled out because he said, look, you can't give me more than 14 hours a week at the moment and with the uncertainty of COVID-19, as much as hospitality was going to be my career, I'm, I'm going to go find a job in an industry that's I'm not going to lose it in um, because I need the money and the certainty. Oh, that's really heartbreaking. So, yeah. So, um, you know, because part of it for me, it's not, it's about supporting them and giving them some money to live on, but it's also about holding the team together. Yeah. 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 That's really hard. Um, All right. Well, Paul, let's both go about our days of getting nothing done. But before we say goodbye, (laughs) is there anything else that you would like to say? Yeah, it's time to unlock. <laughs> it's time to unlock. Hashtag unlock. That's all I can say. Um, I think Melbourne in Melbourne Melburnians, as a majority, want businesses to open. Um, let's do it in a safe way. We can do it in a safe way. Um, and you know, um, I think people are running out of money. But if you can support local, support local. Oh, I really wish you, your business, your family, um, all the best. And, yeah, I look forward to continuing the conversation with you in a venue, outside a venue, but um, somewhere with a drink in my hand sometime soon. But thank you so much, Paul, and, yeah, stay strong. Yeah, thanks for having me, Danny. Okay, great to chat. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about. We spend a week thrashing around each issue, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This is a Deep in the Weeds production.